Well, I just want to do a little bit of teaching, um, just so we make this a legal meeting this evening. <laughs> so you get your money's worth. Um, <laughs> I'm joking. Guys, it is so good to be with you. Thank you for having us and making us feel so welcome. And as I said before, you know, we, we prophesy in part, we see in part. Um, so I'd encourage you to kind of weigh, test things that are brought. If something didn't make sense to you, um, that could be one of two reasons. Either it might have been wrong <laughs> or it may not have happened yet and it may not make sense to you yet. Okay, so hold those things. Talk to one another. Um, it's so important that we weigh the stuff that we hear from God. So I just want to do a kind of a real kind of quick uh, whiz through something I felt God put in my heart just as we were praying through uh, for this meeting before we came here. I was actually going to speak on something different, but I'm going to change it. Um, And uh, I'll tell you why in just a, a minute. I think so often when it comes to the prophetic and growing in the prophetic, the thing that stops us growing in hearing God's voice is fear, isn't it? It's fear of getting it wrong. It's fear of, what if I made it up? What if this isn't me? I mean, what if this is, isn't God? What if this is me? <laughs> you know, it's fear of, what if I say this and it comes out as heresy? What if I get it wrong? What if I get embarrassed? What if I try and it doesn't really work out very well? A whole bunch of fears actually can end up stopping us grow in hearing God's voice. And like any kind of language, hearing God's language takes time to learn. It's a developmental process. I mean, I, I'm, I'm 20 years married. We just celebrated my 20th wedding anniversary. And it, 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 I feel like I'm learning how to hear my wife every single year, just a little bit better than the year before. Because language in marriage takes a time to learn, doesn't it? Because it's that process of relationship. And revelation is always the outflow of intimacy and relationship with God. It's a developmental, growing, learning process. And the reality is... Learning also sometimes means having a go and it not always working out first time. How many of you have learned that, that the process of growth in your life is actually by trying things that didn't succeed straight away? And we've got to learn that in God's economy, he celebrates obedience, not outcomes. That was an excellent point, I thought. In God's economy, he celebrates obedience, not outcomes. In other words, the fruit, the, 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 the results, the growth, that is in God's hands. What is in your hands is the ability to say yes. <laughs> God's responsibility is to do stuff with our obedience. Okay? He's the only one that can save and heal and restore and mend and bring breakthrough and plant churches and all these brilliant things that we want. He's the only one that can ultimately do those things. What you can do is grow in your ability to say yes to him. He is not measuring outcomes. He's measuring obedience. <laughs> and so, so often our, our fear of getting it wrong is, a, is an obstacle to growing in the prophetic. We've got to deal with our stinking thinking. <laughs> We've got to deal with what's going on in here. And earlier uh, this year, God spoke to me. He said, Phil, failure is an option, but timidity is not. Failure is an option, but timidity is not. Because how many of you know 2 Timothy 1.7 says, The spirit you received from God is not a spirit of fear. It's a spirit of power, love, and self-control. That means that when I experience the presence of fear in my life, I know that it is not from the Lord that's not the spirit I received. I received the spirit of love, power, and self-control. That's no longer, fear is no longer part of my new identity in Christ. It's an imposter. I've got to learn to kick that imposter out of my thinking and start thinking 
like a child of God. And so often, growing the prophetic really first starts with dealing with what's up top. Because if you can begin to understand who the Father is and who you are in Him, suddenly everything changes. Everything changes. If you could understand who He is and who you are, suddenly you begin to take risks and begin to grow. And actually, even if you fail, it's not the end of the world. Because actually, I'm not doing this for me. I'm doing it for my Father's pleasure. I'm learning to say yes. You know, a friend of mine was uh, experimenting with trying to learn how to hear God in a kind of outside context. And so he took himself off to his local park. And uh, uh, this is a heroic failure story, just to kind of warn you. And he took him off to, to the local park. He saw a guy sitting on the park bench. And he's like, God, please will you speak to me? I want to learn how to hear you. I want to break through fear. You know, speak to me. Tell me that man's name. And so what he felt God say to him was, the man's name is Morris. <laughs> so he's like, okay. So he went over and he sat himself down on the park bench next to this gentleman he'd never met him before. And he just started to engage him in conversation. And he's like, so, uh, so do you come to this park often, Morris? And the guy kind of looked at him kind of slightly oddly. And he's like, yeah, I do. I just live around the corner. He's like, oh, lovely. He said, uh, so what are you reading in the paper today, Morris? He looked at him again. <laughs> And uh, they carried on this conversation with my friend Dan, every now and again dropping in the name Morris, till eventually this guy turned to him and said, listen, why do you keep talking to me, and why do you keep calling me Morris? My name is Dave, shove off. And so off he went. Now that's the story of heroic failure. Listen, if you can't remember the last time you failed, the reality is you may not be growing. Because there is no growth without failure. Now, I'm not talking about moral failure. I'm talking about courage failure. I'm talking about having a go. Take a risk. Step out of your comfort zone. Do something for God that requires him to intervene. That kind of failure. That kind of stepping out on the water moments. When has that happened in your life? We've got to have a developmental attitude to the prophetic if we're going to grow. And what begins to happen is we begin to step into a revelation of who I am, my identity in Christ. Understand that he is a good father. He is for me. He loves me. It's not actually about my performance. It's about my relationship with him. Suddenly, you begin to find the prophetic flourishing in your life. A good friend of mine, he is a, uh, a brilliant scientist. He's a Nigerian guy. And uh, he... Uh, regularly praise God speaks to me give me inventions show me stuff give me revelation so he went to bed one night and in the middle of his his uh his dream he dreams of this molecular structure and God says to him this is a cure for brain cancer so he wakes up in the middle of the night having seen this molecular structure in his dream and he just writes it down on a notepad by his bed and uh, he goes into his laboratory and he begins to kind of punch this kind of I don't even understand it. He punches in kind of this molecular structure and these kind of DNA sequences and all this kind of stuff. And anyway, right now, uh, this, is, uh, being, it, this is in laboratory tests in our country as a potential cure for brain cancer. Isn't that amazing? Another, f another friend of mine called Yusuf uh, is in a, a nation, another nation, and uh, I prophesied over him a couple of years ago that he would begin to get favor with presidents and kings and rulers in his nation now he is a computer salesman by trade so he doesn't know any presidents he's not particularly moving in those corridors of power but anyway about six months later he has a series of 
uh, five dreams. In the first four dreams, the vice president of the country comes up to him and he sees himself prophesying over the vice president. And four nights in a row, the same dream. And so he begins, after the fourth night, he thinks, maybe this is God. And, but he's still dismissing it. On the fifth night, the president appears in his dream, points at him and says, you have to prophesy over the vice president. And so he starts to just pray. He says, God, if this is you, you've got to open up a way for this to happen. Now, the vice president in this particular nation is known as the most brutal guy on the whole cabinet. So he's the guy that makes others disappear. He arranges car crashes. He arranges kidnaps. He disappears people that disagree with his government. So he's not kind of a particularly great character to get around. And so my friend Yusuf is just praying, and he's just saying, Jesus, if this is you, you've got to open up an opportunity. You said that I would speak before presidents and kings. And so he was then at, at, a, at a party one day, got introduced to a girl. Turns out she is the vice president's daughter. And uh, he says to her, um, I'd love to meet your dad sometime. <laughs> to which she said, well, loads of people want to meet my dad. Why do you want to see him? He said, well, I've got a word from God for him. <laughs> She's like, well, what's the word? He said, I don't know yet. He hasn't told me. <laughs> So she's like, well, to be honest, there's just no way you're going to get to see him. He's super busy, and that sounds a bit odd anyway. But anyway, they exchanged telephone numbers. And a uh, few, uh, few weeks went past. This girl phoned my friend up and said, I mentioned you to my dad, and he wants to see you. He said he's going to send his people around to come and get you. <laughs> so by this time, my friend is freaking out. But he's got this promise from God. You said I would prophesy over presidents and kings. And so he begins to, to pray, and God begins to download to him revelation for the vice president. And uh, so the vice president sends his guys around. Uh, he gets put into a blacked-out van, so he doesn't know where he's going. He gets blindfolded, and he ends up uh, in the vice president's uh, kind of room in his office. And uh, he begins to prophesy over the vice president. And he says, I can see you've got a particular color notebook by your bed. These are the things you wrote in it yesterday morning. He said, these are the things you've got a passion for, and this is what God wants to say to you about the nation. And suddenly the kingdom's shown up in a remarkable, remarkable way. How does that stuff happen? It happens by dealing with your stinking thinking. <laughs> by learning to think like God thinks. Learning to think as sons and daughters. And so what I want to do very quickly in the time that we've got is just talk through a few truths about your adoption into God's family that will transform your ability and confidence to know that the Father wants to speak to you. And that God's speaking is not for the select few, it's for everyone who believes in Jesus. It's for everyone in this room. So let me just talk through a few truths about our adoption in Christ. Here is the first one. These are what I call the A's of adoption. Number one is acceptance. Acceptance. Romans 15.7 says this, Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. This is the first A of your adoption into God's family. J.I. Packer, who's a theologian, he says, Adoption is the highest blessing of the gospel. In other words, behind the cross is not just God's desire to deal with sin and to punish evil. Behind the cross is the higher motive of God, which is this. He wanted you in his family. 
That's why the cross was necessary. He wanted you in his family. That's why J.I. Packer says adoption is the highest blessing of the gospel. Praise God for the legality of justification. God no longer counts my sins against me. Guess what? That's not the whole story. The other part of the story is this. You have now been adopted into the Father's family. You now belong to him. You, but you can get excited about this at any point that you want to. Feel free to let your happiness reach your faces. Okay? You've been adopted into God's family. You're no longer strangers and foreigners and aliens. You are grafted into him. You've been given a new identity in Christ. The old is gone. The new has come. If any man is in Christ, new creation has already started. This is good news, folks. The cross was not just God cancelling out your debt. It was his active bestowal of blessing upon your life so that you become a completely new creature. You are not a sinner anymore. You are a saint. And this changes everything. And the first A of your adoption into God's family is that you are fully accepted by God. He fully accepts you. And what this does is it deals with this old mindset of rejection, which so many of us have through experiences that we've lived through in our lives. Probably not a single person in this room has not lived through some kind of experience in some shape or form of rejection. And what we do so often is we take those earthly experiences and we transplant them into our relationship with the Father and we think through this filter of rejection. And when it comes to the prophetic, we think through this filter of God probably won't speak to me. If I try and take a risk, it'll probably go belly up and then I'll just, it'll remind me how rejected I already feel. If I bring that word to someone, it turns out to be wrong, that's just going to remind me that I already feel rejected. And so often that filter is a blockage to us actually taking a leap of faith and listening to what he wants to say to you. Because we live with this old mindset, we can get stuck in the cycle of rejection. You know, the cycle of rejection is this is because I feel rejected, I will reject others before they have a chance to reject me. Which stops the very thing that you really long for, which is to be in community with other people. And that's the cycle of rejection. I feel rejected and it's so painful that it's safer for me to push other people away than have them get close in case they remind me of how rejected I already feel. It's how so many of us live. We get stuck in that cycle. We think, why do I have, for example, shallow relationships? Undealt with rejection is probably the biggest cause of shallow relationships where we don't live authentic friendships with one another. We live skimming the surface. How are you today, brother? Oh, I'm fine, thanks, brother. How are you? I'm fine, thanks, brother. Thank you very much. We put on our beautiful Christian masks, don't we, for Sunday at church. How are you doing? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Was that, really, was that really how you feel this morning? Possibly not. Possibly. But we live so often on the surface of things because we're scared to let people really know the real us. Because we think, what if they got to know the real me and they don't like me? And so it's safer to live superficial, shallow lives rather than have someone know the real you, warts and all. It's the cycle of rejection. John Maxwell says, hurting people hurt others and are easily hurt by them. And that is so often where we get stuck if we don't let this truth of our acceptance in Christ take root. You are now fully accepted. You have been given a transplanted identity 
Your old identity no longer exists. That old rejected you is not now the real you because you're in Christ. You're in Christ. The cross dealt with that old bit. His blood dealt with that old bit. That old bit doesn't need to exist in your thinking anymore because it's been dealt with at the cross. Jesus died for that stuff and rose again so that you could come into a newness of understanding of who you now are. Another thing that rejection can do is really stop you taking any risks at all. Because our thought is, if I try and I fail, I'll feel rejected, probably by other people. What I love is coming to places like this and having us as a team demonstrate that you can get it wrong and it's okay. To be honest, it's probably one of the most important things that would have happened this evening is you watching us getting it wrong, but see that we're okay. I'm absolutely serious. If you are a leader in this church, it's your job to model getting it wrong and people to see it's okay, for you to do it securely. I'm absolutely serious. It's so important. Because if you don't, we live, again, very, very safe and comfortable lives, but we don't really take any risks. Uh, just wave them if you've seen Back to the Future. Okay, if you haven't, this will make no sense to you whatsoever. Go home and watch it. Okay, but Back to the Future, there's that, you know, bit at the beginning of the film where Marty McFly is like a brilliant musician, and he's kind of a guitarist, and he's cut this demo tape, and he's... he's girlfriend Jennifer at the beginning of the film says Marty send this thing off this is brilliant you're you're amazing they're gonna love you and Marty says yeah but what what if I send it off and they hate it what if they think I suck I just don't think I could handle that kind of rejection and so he never sends the tape off and then of course he goes back in time and he meets his own father George McFly in the past and George McFly is secretly a science fiction writer. And he's writing these science fiction novels. And Marty finds them. And he says, George, these science fiction novels are brilliant. Why don't you send it off? Send it to a publisher. This is brilliant. And he's like, yeah, but what if I send it off? What if they think I'm no good? What if they think I suck? I just don't think I could handle that kind of rejection. And it, so it goes on in the whole film. You know, he's got to ask Lorraine out to the enchanted ball under the sea dance. You remember that bit? Yeah, and he won't ask her out. He hasn't got the guts to ask her out. Why? Because what if I ask her? What if she says no? I don't think I can handle that kind of rejection. And this cycle of risk-averse living just gets recycled and recycled and recycled because you never deal with the truth. I'm no longer that person. I'm accepted fully as I am. That's the antidote to rejection is this. God didn't need you, but he wanted you. <laughs> God didn't need you. He was perfectly self-sufficient in the eternal trinity, Godhead, for all eternity past. He didn't need you, but here's the truth. He wanted you. He wanted you. And that's, you see that every time you look at the cross, he wanted you. Your father wanted you. You are on his wanted list. I've got an adopted brother. We adopted him when I was eight. And at that time, you used to literally look through a magazine of children that were waiting for adoption. And I remember before we started looking in this magazine, God spoke to me, said, you're going to adopt a child called Adam. And I remember looking through this magazine, we found Adam. Found him in this magazine. Because he was on God's wanted list. He was on our wanted list. And he's now a wealthy boy. He's now in the wealthy family. That's his new identity. That old identity is no longer his. 
He's been grafted into a new family because you're on God's wanted list. He wanted you. Ephesians 1 says he predestined you to be adopted as his sons. He predestined you to be adopted as his sons. It was his good pleasure to save you. Second A of our adoption is affirmation. Romans 1.7, Paul talks about, to all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints. I love that word, beloved. You are now affirmed by God and called his beloved. You're the beloved of God. Wow. What a thought to transform the whole, the rest of your life. I'm the beloved of God. Of course I can take some risks in the prophetic. God is nuts about me. He loves me. He loves, you, you measure the worth of something by how much you're willing to pay for it. How much has the Father paid for you? How much worth does he put on your life? He affirms you. You're the beloved of God. He says yes to you. And again, one of the things that this does is it breaks us out of the old cycle of performance, which is this. I've got to work hard in order for God to be pleased with me. Man alive, I don't even need to do an appeal right now to know this is a huge issue for lots of us. Because so many of us are working for affirmation rather than from affirmation. And there is a big difference. If you are working for the approval of someone else, you are living life on this merry-go-round, this yo-yo existence of feeling great about yourself when you're performing well. But if you're not, you feel lousy. Let me ask you, is your sense of security measured by how well you're performing? Or is it rooted in the truth of your identity in Christ? Are you as secure when you fail as when you succeed? How's that going for you? Or are you stuck in that old mindset, I've, I've got to perform to get the Father's approval? Again, uh, biography of Andre Agassi, a tennis player. I really recommend you read it. It's a brilliant biography, but he talks about his relationship with his father and how he grew up in this intensely performance-orientated culture in his upbringing. And he writes that uh, before he was even born, his father, Mike Agassi, decided that if he had a son, his son would be number one tennis player in the world. And so right from uh, his, his infanthood, his father would hang tennis, a tennis mobile in his cot so that he could get used to the sight of a tennis ball. At the age of seven, he would gaffer tape a tennis racket to Andre Agassi's wrist and he would say, hit anything in our house, son, because he wanted to get used to the feel of hitting things. And then by the age of seven, um, Mike Agassi built his own tennis court in the back garden and I'll read you what it says. Um, he said, uh, I used to shake with fear. This is Andre writing. I was a seven-year-old. My father would fire tennis balls at me 110 miles per hour from a machine called the Dragon. He said, my father reasoned that if a kid hits 2,500 tennis balls every day, he'll hit 17,500 balls every week, and at the end of one year will have hit nearly 1 million tennis balls. My dad believes in maths. Numbers, he says, don't lie. A, ch a child who hits one million tennis balls each year will be unbeatable. This is the environment he grew up in. And then this is what he writes in his biography. I'm seven years old talking to myself because I'm scared and because I'm the only person who listens to me. Under my breath, I whisper, just quit, Andre. Just give up. 
put down your racket and walk off this court right now, wouldn't that feel like heaven, Andre, to just quit, to never play tennis ever again? But I can't. Not only would my father, Mike, chase me around the house with my racket, but something in my gut, some deep unseen muscle won't let me. I hate tennis. I hate it with all my heart. And yet still I keep playing, keep hitting all morning, all afternoon, because I have no choice. And he says, finally, he won his first ever Grand Slam, which was Wimbledon. Many of you may remember that. And the first person that Agassi called was his father. He wasn't at the game. And he called his father, Mike. He said, Dad, Dad, I did it. I finally did it. I won my first Grand Slam. And his father said, you shouldn't have dropped the first set and hung up. Now, that is an extreme example of growing up in a performance-orientated culture. But the reality is, if you grew up in the West, you grew up in exactly the same culture, where your worth is measured by how much you output. But that's not a kingdom value. God, yes, wants us to work hard. Yes, he wants us to be productive. But from a completely different standpoint, we work from affirmation, not for affirmation. You are affirmed by God just as you are. Wow. What a beautiful truth. You are affirmed by God just as you are. remember once to my own son when he's much much smaller than he is now he's now six foot two but when he was when he was little I remember he was going to a fairly new school and he was really struggling one morning and he uh, just started to have a full-blown panic attack right in front of us about going to school and if you've ever kind of seen somebody had a panic attack it's one of those really scary experiences and he just kept sobbing and sobbing and sobbing and he's like I can't, just can't do it I can't go in and he, he, through the sobs, and we tried every parental trick in the handbook, okay? We tried bribery, corruption, distraction, everything. We tried everything, but nothing was breaking. He just couldn't get him out. He couldn't stop himself crying, like just totally hysterical crying. And in between sobs, he kept saying to us, he said, I'm so sorry. He said, I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm letting you down. I can't stop crying. I can't pull myself together. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And suddenly, I had this revelation. I know exactly what he needs right now. And I stood my son to, to his feet. I grabbed his shoulders. I looked him in the eyes. And I said, son, I want you to know we are so proud of you. We are proud of you whether you're crying or not. We're proud of you whether you're doing well or doing badly. We're proud of you all the time. We are nuts about you, Sam. We are so thrilled with you. You're my boy. I love you. I just began to pour affirmation into his life. Instantly, the sobbing stopped. I was like, you just feel the presence of the Holy Spirit come in the room. I suddenly understood my affirmation does not come from my performance. It comes because I'm a son. And my daddy loves me. Instantly it stopped and he went to school. It's the power of affirmation. When God says yes to you, you're my boy, you're my girl, you're mine. And then the third A, we'll finish with this, I'm aware of time is access. Your adoption into the Father's family now gives you access to the Father. This is what Ephesians 2.18 says. It's talking about Jews and Gentiles. It says, for through him, through Jesus, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. 
You have access to the Father by one spirit, which means heaven is open for business. Okay? You have access. You don't need special permission. You have access. You're a son or a daughter. You have access to the Father. I call this fridge rights. Okay? So when I go home to my mum and dad's house, I have fridge rights. Even though I left home a long time ago. That means I can go to my father's fridge and open it up and have a rummage around, see what's there, see what's in the bread bin, drink the best beer, you know, have the best food, make my own sandwich. You know, I don't need to ask for permission because I'm a son in my father's house. I get permission and access that other people wouldn't. If you did that in my father's house, it would be weird. <laughs> I can do it because I'm a wealthy boy. I know who I am. I've got fridge rights in my father's house. That essentially is what Paul is saying to the Jews and Gentiles. By one spirit, you have access to the Father. You have access to him. You don't yet sound like you believe me, but it is true. I really promise you it's in the Bible. Okay, you can now explore the unsearchable riches of Christ. You now have open to you endless possibilities, aeons and aeons of new revelation that are going to unfold to you over the passing of time. Do you know, I believe in heaven, when we're in glory, it's just going to be a series of constant, beautiful, incredible revelations. A day of glorious discovery about who God is and about who you are. You have access to that. You have access to the Father by one Spirit. And again, what this does is it breaks that old stinking thinking that I am excluded. I'm powerless. I'm just little old me. You know, I can't change the world. You know, I'm this, I'm that. I'm never going to do anything great for God. Well, the Bible begs to differ. You've got access to the Father by one spirit. You are no longer excluded. You're no longer powerless. You're no longer on the margins. He's brought you right into the center. <laughs> he's given you an access all areas past come to me come to the throne of grace for mercy and help in your time of need the way is open a new and living way there is no longer any barrier so what's stopping you coming <laughs> you don't need to influence others to feel powerful so often what we do if we feel excluded we can either we can veer to two extremes. One, we can try and push for influence with people because we think if we do that, then I'll feel more powerful. And we can end up kind of pushing our way in and kind of pushing ourselves into the limelight. Or we can push ourselves into the shadows and passivity in self-pity. If we feel excluded, if I feel powerless, think, oh, well, no one notices me. I probably won't get prophesied over tonight. If that was your attitude coming in, it might be just a little clue that there's something that needs to shift in here. Maybe you do feel powerless. Maybe you feel excluded. That's not actually true. You have access to the Father. That makes you the most significant person on planet Earth right now. You have access to the Father. <laughs> Jesus said, to you have been given the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. Just think about that. Those people you walk by every day. They haven't been given the secrets of the kingdom, but you have. That's amazing. You have access. One of my favorite stories is of a man called George Muller, who is a kind of Christian philanthropist, businessman. He housed 10,000 orphans in his lifetime in the Bristol area. 
uh, educated 120,000 kids, set up numerous kind of schools right up and down the country. Incredible man of prayer who understood I have access to the Father. And one of my favorite stories about George Muller was a time where he was on a ship that was going to Canada in Newfoundland, in, sorry, Quebec. And he was due to be in Quebec on Saturday for an, an important appointment. But the ship suddenly hit this incredibly dense fog on the journey, and the captain had to stop the ship. And so the, the story goes that Muller came to talk to the captain, and I'll read you the conversation. He said, Captain, I need to tell you I must be in Quebec on Saturday afternoon. The captain told him that it was simply not possible due to the weather conditions. George said, very well, if your ship cannot take me, God will find some other way. <laughs> I'm just, who says something like that? God will find some other way. He said, for I have never missed an engagement in 57 years. Let's go down to the chart room and pray. Again, the captain protested, saying, no, no, Mr. Muller, do you realize how dense the fog is outside? No, replied George. My eye is not on the dense fog, but on the living God who controls every circumstance of my life. The captain then told how George knelt down and prayed one of the simplest prayers he'd ever heard in his life. And when he'd finished, the captain himself started to pray. But to his great surprise, George put his hand on the captain's shoulders and told him to stop. First of all, he says, you don't believe God will answer. Second, I believe that God already has. Consequently, there's no need for you to pray about it. <laughs> and then get this. This is beautiful. He says, Captain, I have known my Lord for 57 years, and there has never been a single day that I have failed to get an audience with the king. Oh, I love that. There's never been a single day that I failed to get an audience with the king. Get up, Captain. Open the door. You'll see that the fog has already gone. Captain got up, opened the door, and sure enough, the fog was gone. And George Muller made his appointment on Saturday afternoon. <laughs> and Muller apparently kept on his desk a little motto that he would read as often as he could that brought him strength. And it was simply this, it matters to him about you. It matters to him about you. And Muller had this understanding, I am not excluded anymore. That's not who I am. I have access there's not a single day where I can't get an audience with the king. I'm not a minnow. I've been ushered in to the most holy place. I've got access with the Father. You know, I tell my kids that they can call me anytime, wherever I am in the world, they can call me, day or night, and I'll answer the phone if it's them. Because they have access to their Father. My son did that once recently in the middle of a conference. It was funny. We did a live call in front of 400 people. But he has access because of who he is. Let me tell you, if you could grasp hold of the truth of your adoption in Christ, it would utterly change your journey in the prophetic. Because revelation always flows through intimacy. So often we're looking for methodology. We're looking for, give me, give me the 10 keys to prophesy better. Now, some of those things can help, but let me tell you what you help, help you more than anything else, is get to know your Father. Get to understand who you are because of him in Christ. And I tell you, intimacy is the seedbed for all revelation. It just is. It's natural for the Father to talk to his kids and for his kids to listen to the Father. That's your inheritance. And the way that he speaks to you will be very different probably than the person you're sitting next to 
but take time to learn the language of the Holy Spirit. Don't get crippled by your fear. Have a go. What's the worst that can happen? If you fail, you're still just as secure as when you started. It doesn't change who you are. It doesn't change how he sees you. You are utterly secure in Christ. And that is the good news of your adoption through him. So guys, there are just some thoughts. Um, So much more we could say, but time has run away with us. But I would love just to finish by praying for you, if that's okay. You okay just to hang around for a couple more minutes? If you do need to go, go. I will not be offended whatsoever. But shall we just quickly stand together and let's take a moment to pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Yeah, if you know that you have been perhaps living with either of those three old mindsets kind of bugging you, either rejection, performance, or exclusion, if you just know as I started to touch on those, you thought, ah, oh, that, that has been me. I, I'm kind of living out of some of that stuff still. I just encourage you just to lift your hands where you are, and I'm just going to pray for you. Thank you, Father. 1 Corinthians 2.12 says that the Spirit has been given so that we can understand what he has freely given us. And one of the beautiful works of the Holy Spirit is to remind us of what is already ours. He shows us what's true. And so, Father, right now across this room, I just pray for freedom. Just pray for freedom in the name of Jesus. God, freedom from old stinking thinking. God, we want to learn to think like sons and daughters of the living God. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Just, just where you are, why don't you just either just in your head or out loud, just repent of thinking that way. Just say, I'm sorry, Father, for thinking that way. I'm sorry for believing that I was excluded. I'm sorry for believing that I'm still rejected. Just whatever it is that he's brought to mind this evening, just bring that to the Lord. Just begin to reject some lies. Say, I I reject the lie that I am rejected. I reject the lie that if I fail, I'm no longer secure. I reject the lie that I'm powerless. Your words are powerful. Proverbs says the power of life and death is in the tongue. What comes out of your mouth right now is very powerful. It's important that you reject what's false, but you also begin to declare what's true. So just where you are, just begin to declare what's really true. Say, Father, thank you that I am fully accepted by you. Thank you that you affirm me just as I am. Thank you that you love me, you receive me. Thank you that I have access to you every day. There's not a single day where I don't have access to you. Thank you that I am now a powerful person because I'm your child. Thank you that anything is possible. Thank you that my life is significant because of you. Thank you, it's about your grace, not my effort. Just declare these things, just tell him. Begin to declare the truth to yourself. Thank you that you want to use me. Thank you that you want to speak to me. Thank you that I'm prophetic. (laughs) Thank you that I get to hear your voice. Thank you that I'm a risk taker. Some of you just need to declare that one particularly. Just thank God. Say, God, thank you that you made me to be a risk taker. You made me to be a man or woman of courage. 
You made me to live out of my comfort zone. God is more interested in your life being meaningful than he is making it comfortable. <laughs> He's much more interested in making your life meaningful. So, Father, thank you. You saved me so that my life would have a meaning. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Ah, oh, come, Holy Spirit. I thank you for these beautiful truths. These beautiful truths. God, just come and clear the airwaves so that we can hear your voice. Pray we begin to see, think, and listen through the right filter, the filter of our adoption. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you've done it all. Thank you that we're working from affirmation. Ah, what a relief. What a relief. Ah, some of you just need to breathe a sigh of relief. So, whew, it really doesn't depend on how hard I work. I just need to learn how to say yes. Ha, thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Wow. Father, thank you that you love this church so much. You love this church so much. Thank you right now for the deep affection in your heart for this family. Ah, oh, thank you, Father. God, I ask, would you bring deeper, deeper revelation? Oh, God, deeper revelation of our intimacy with you, our access to you. <sighs> thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Why don't you just put a hand on the shoulder of someone you're standing next to right now. I just want to pray that you would begin to punch through a new watermark in the prophetic in your church. You know, we believe in the power of impartation, the laying on of hands. So you just be praying for the person that you're standing next to as I'm praying. Pray that as a church family, you begin to punch through a new watermark in the prophetic. That it's a new season for risk-taking, for having a go, for taking the time to listen, for being courageous, for some heroic failures maybe. Thank you, Father. 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 Father, we just declare an era of fresh revelation, fresh grace, fresh hearing of God, fresh prophetic encounters. God, a new day of risk-taking in the prophetic. Father, I pray for dreams, for visions, for angelic encounters, for uh, uh, experiences in the night. God, I pray, Father, for the whole gamut of the way in which you speak to us. Father, we pray that for many of us, Scripture would just start coming, leaping off the page and pounding into our, our, our airwaves. God, as you take those words and burn them on our hearts, speak to us, Holy Spirit, in this season, in a brand new way. Thank you, Father God. Pray this church would be an incredible prophetic outpost of all that you want to do. 
in Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Well, my final thing for you is, what does it look like for you to take a prophetic risk this week? What does that look like for you? Is that phoning someone up to encourage them? Is it asking God for a word of knowledge in the supermarket? Is it finding someone else in this church and having a prophetic word for them? What does it look like for you? What would it look like for you to step out of your comfort zone? Tell you, that's where the growth is, okay? You don't need an ABC. Learn to say yes. Guys, thank you so much for having us this evening. It's been so good to be with you. Again, I want to encourage you, if you do want to get hold of that, they're at the back, they're eight quids. Grab one on the way out. Um, Thank you so much for being so kind, so receptive. It's been lovely being with you.